gentlemen, you guys can have a seat. I want to go ahead and say, uh, if you're here for the first time, I'm so glad you're with us today. Uh, you know, this past, uh, this past Friday night, we all gathered together uh, as a time of prayer and worship just to celebrate all of what God has done and praying for God to move uh, in, in the months and year ahead of us. Uh, I mean, half of our church right now has been with us for less than six months, which is just bizarre. Uh, God has been moving. We have, a lot, we have much to celebrate. Uh, we're also praying for God to move in mighty, mighty ways this year. And so uh, I want to invite you guys to join in praying with us. Um, you know, today we, we're beginning the book of John. And in uh, the book, you know, I love the book of John for, for several reasons. Uh, one, I think it's a great book for someone who's new to Christianity or exploring Christianity. It's an excellent book to dive in, uh, dive in there. Um, but I also love the book of John because it gives uh, a thesis statement. <laughs> like, it's really helpful. Like, the, book, the end of the book of John, we'll see in just a second, it gives us a purpose statement. Uh, and I'm just a really simple guy. Like, I love uh, when someone can just look at me and say, hey, I, uh, I, I know exactly why we're doing what we're doing. This is what we're doing, and this is where we're going. And that's what John does. Uh, you know, I had a preaching professor in seminary, and he, he, he called it the 3 a.m. principle, where if <laughs> you... If you wake up in the middle of the night and some, for some reason you're panicked and you need to know what the sermon's about, you need to be able to say it in a sentence or two. Uh, and so that's kind of like what John does. He gives us that 3 a.m. like main idea, thesis statement, uh, telling us exactly what we're doing and where we're going. Uh, so if you look at, uh, look at the end of, verse, end of John in chapter, uh, in chapter 20, verse 30, it's up on the screen here. Uh, this is what he says. This is kind of his thesis statement. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The entire book of John was written for those two purposes, so that people would believe in Jesus and also find true life in Jesus. Uh, which is why we named the series, John, What Do You Believe? You guys all sat on a little card. That's what it says. The subtitle of our series is What Do You Believe? You know, uh, and because of John's purpose for this book, it's, it's for all people to believe in Jesus. And so because of that, we're praying uh, that purpose throughout this series for us. Like I'm hoping and praying that many would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, just as John said. I'm praying this for people from all different parts of life. Young kids, high school and middle school kids, students, college students, young professionals, singles, married, retirees, empty nesters, people from all different nationalities and backgrounds and walks of life, people who grew up in the church and people who didn't. Like my hope and prayer throughout this series of John is that we would be eager and expectant for God to save people and to bring people to himself so that they would trust and believe. Like I really believe this. The harvest is ripe. Like people are searching. People are hungry for truth. And I'm praying throughout this series in John, we would fill up our cars with people week after week after week, with people who don't know Jesus, and be eager to bring them and invite them to hear about who Jesus Christ truly is. And I say all of this knowing and believing that God absolutely has the, has the power to save. Like our God is able to save. But I also know that the book of John is not just for people who don't believe in Jesus. It's also for the Christian who does believe. You know, this book is rich in theology. And I believe it will drive us to know and to love God more deeply, to see his, uh, both his grandness and depth, to see his power and his might and balance with his gentleness and mercy. 
I'm praying that week after week after week, we'd grow more deeply in awe of who God is just by learning about who Jesus is. And I've been reading a book uh, this week, and, and I read a quote from uh, A.W. Tozer uh, out, of, out of the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and it, it just stuck with me. It, it, it kind of struck me. And Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Like, that's what Tozer said. And y'all, the book of John, in many ways, is very simple. But it's also, in a lot of ways, full of incredible depth and richness to mine for a lifetime, uh, just about the nature of God. And so looking at and studying the life of Jesus, it should greatly challenge us in how we live and where we, find, where we find true life. Because if you remember, the second part of John's thesis statement, his purpose statement, John said that, that, that by believing, we may find life in his name. And so the question for the Christian is, yes, you may believe in Jesus, but are you finding true life in Jesus? You know, it's one thing uh, to know the truths of Christianity, but y'all, it is an entirely different thing to have your life fueled by Christianity. Jesus didn't come to only save us for the next life. Jesus came to give us full life right now, like today, in this life. And throughout the book of John, these are the things that we're praying for. New life and a fullness of life in Christ. And so we're going to week in and week out look to Jesus who gives new life and eternal life through believing, but also by believing uh, we have access to the fullness of life he provides right now. So all that being said, let's go ahead and look at John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, I'm going to give you our big idea, our main idea, and then I will have uh, two points for today. We'll kind of swim around there, baptize a couple people, and call it a day, okay? Um, look at verse 1 in John 1 as we begin our journey, okay? This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's our text for today, but I want to jump down to verse 14 in John 1, just so we kind of have a little bit more understanding. This is what it says in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Y'all, to make sure we don't miss anything here, y'all, these first five verses are about Jesus. It does not mention Jesus' name, but John 1.14 makes it very clear that he's talking about Jesus. Verses 1 through 18 in John 1 that we're going to look at this week and also next week, they're just rich with poetic truth. There's like poetic language. Uh, and John goes real deep, real quick. Uh, but y'all, what, what John shows us about Jesus in his introduction, it is rich. But what I want us to see here in a more poetic way, John starts by showing us who Jesus is and also his purpose. And so we're going to look at both of those things today. But before we get there, I want to give you our main idea, like I said I would, uh, our, our 3 a.m. principle. Uh, and it's this, that God sent Jesus to rescue his people out of darkness. That's where we're going. And as soon as I say that, we start to see part of Jesus' purpose. And is to make, this is to make things really simple for us. Our, our outline are two questions. Who is Jesus and what is Jesus' purpose? That's our outline. And really, we're going to see these two questions throughout the entire book of John. But John, he starts off the book getting straight to the point, making sure we know exactly who Jesus is and why God sent him. Ultimately seeing our main idea that God sent Jesus to rescue his people out of darkness uh, both of those questions are important, so uh, I want you to think with me for a second. 
on why that first question of who is Jesus is, is, such, a, is such a deal breaker for us. Okay, I want you to use your imaginations. Okay, can we do that? Okay, awesome. All right, just, just imagine with me for a second. You're in a dark alley, just kind of in an unknown part of town. Uh, you can't see anything. Uh, you're nervous. Uh, you're like lost. You're misplaced. It's cold. It's maybe a little dreary. Uh, just kind of hearing some strange noises like the windows cracking. Okay, and maybe a little mice running behind you. I don't know. It just kind of sounds like an intro to a, a, a weird movie, maybe, or a scary movie. And if you're anything like me, you're going to get the heebie-jeebies. Like, I wish I said this didn't happen, but I, yo, I'm just a jumpy guy. That's just what happens. Like, fireworks and sudden movements, I just, like, I just start panicking. I don't know. Like, I just loud noises do that to me. I have my fight-or-flight mentality. It just comes out. Uh, which is what happens. But imagine with me while you're in that dark alley with no lights around, uh, you can't see anything, and all of a sudden, a person with a flashlight <laughs> just kind of starts kind of coming around that corner, uh, starts walking at you and talking to you, and it's like, well, what do you do? Well, maybe some of you would just take off running. Like, I'm just done. I, I, I'm getting out of here. Some of you maybe would, like, hide. Maybe some of you would find something to protect yourself. But what if that person walking all of a sudden called out to you and said your name? He's like, Eric, I've been looking for you. I've come to help you. I know you're lost and nervous and not sure how you got where you are, but I've come to help you and I've come to rescue you. And I'm guessing you may still be a little freaked out still. Like, because this guy with a flashlight, he knows your name. He's been looking for you. Uh, you'd be thinking, if you're smart maybe, wait, who is this person? And why has he come to rescue me? You'd want to know his credentials. You want to know who, where he's from, who he's associated with, where is he going to take you, and is he going to be safe? You'd likely still be very cautious. But what if we use that same exact scenario, but that person is your best friend, or your dad, or a trusted relative, or someone uh, that you're just like very relieved when you see? And so we see here that uh, who this person is is very important. And today we're saying that God sent Jesus to rescue his people out of darkness. We need to ask the question in our first point. Well, number one, who is Jesus? Like, who is this guy? Because knowing who Jesus is is very important before we hand over our life to him and follow him. Because what if we're in that dark alley and the person says to us, hey, uh, he in fact is Jesus. We want to know, wait, who is this person and can we trust him? Well, today, John gives us the, the, his basic introduction of who Jesus is. As we, as we go throughout the book of John, we'll see more and more why Jesus is worthy to be trusted and followed. Because the reality is, every person in this room, in our life, and on this earth, metaphorically speaking, either was or currently is in that dark alley needing to be rescued out of the darkness and brought back to the God who made us. Because while we're in the darkness, we're separated from God who will see today, God is the light. But the only way out of that dark alley is to trust and follow the man that came with the light. It's by trusting Jesus and following him to bring us back to God. So again, we need to ask the question, who is Jesus and is he worthy of our trust? And this, in the basic foundational introduction that John gives to answer that question of who is Jesus, he starts with verses one through three in John. Let's look at those verses again. This is what he says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So who is this man 
uh, that we're supposed to trust and follow. To answer this question, I want to give three answers that we see out of our text. Uh, three subpoints here. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus was with God before creation. Jesus is God, and Jesus is God revealed. Okay, I want to warn you. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on here, and this section is going to be a little bit more technical by nature, uh, diving into a little bit more apologetic and theology talk. So try to hang with me for about 10 to 15 minutes here, okay? Uh, but we're going to take a small bite at a time. And this will be like when that guy comes up with you a flashlight and calls out your name and say, hey, wait, who are you? And this is the first thing he says. The very first thing he says is, in the beginning was the word. And say, like, wait a second, can you just tell me your name? <laughs> uh, but no, he responds with poetry. Uh, and in the poetic introduction, the author, John, immediately goes back to the beginning of time. John goes back to the creation of the world to begin the process of building trust. And I think we can understand this. Because as people, when we look at creation, when we look at the trees, and we look at the birds, and the rain, and the stars, and the sky, and we study science and see the, all the intricacies of this thing we call earth, it immediately tips us off to the idea that there is something out there that is bigger than us. Innately asking the question that every human asks, hey, where did we come from and how did we get here? I've got three kids, and every single one of my kids has asked me and Kelly this question. Every kid at some point has asked, where do babies come from, and how do we get here? And yes, it tends to the birds and the bees talk. Uh, but at a much deeper level, we answer the question by saying, God made us, and God made you in your mother's womb. Yes, we can say that mommy and daddy played a part in making our kids, but that conversation is definitely needed. But let's be honest with ourselves, okay? We can't take much credit for the beauty and complexity that comes with the creation of life. Because humanity's part in reproduction, it is way too simple, and what comes out is way too complex for us to take much credit for the beauty and complexity that comes out at the birthing of a new life. There has to be something bigger out there that is knitting life together in the womb. And when we look at creation and reproduction, it all points to an intelligent designer. It all directs us to God, which makes me agree with the title of Norman Geisler's book that says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You know, I, I say this all the time. You know, Christianity is very logical. It makes a lot of rational sense. Some things we don't know, but when we look at the world, generally speaking, Christianity seems to give the best and most rational answers to the questions of life. And creation alone uh, is enough proof to attest that God exists. And John appeals to this in his trust-building process, in his very first verse, by going back to the very beginning of time. But then after uh, that first phrase, he adds something. And he adds something very interesting in John 1.1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And to make this clear, Jesus is the Word here. And whenever we see Word, uh, that, that, that Word, Word, in John 1, verse 1 and 2, we can insert Jesus and rephrase it kind of like this. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, seeing our first point, our first sub-point in this first, this first point. Who is Jesus? We can see here that Jesus was with God before creation. Jesus is interconnected with God. This is, a re this, this is repeatedly emphasized in these first two verses. Uh, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. And then in verse 2, John repeats himself, uh, emphasizing that the word he's talking about is a person. Like he says in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And the fact that this is repeated and heavily emphasized needs to make us just kind of be curious for a second. Because remember, John is trying to build trust with his audience for Jesus. And John gives Jesus a really good letter of recommendation. 
simply by who John associates Jesus with. We do this all the time. How can we grow in trusting someone we've never met? Well, if people we already trust recommend that person and they trust them. As many of you know, we recently hired AJ uh, to come on staff with us this summer in the search process. I came a lot, across a lot of different resumes. And you know how AJ got to the top of the list? I asked the guy that I trust, named Clayton, if he knew of anybody for the job. And he told me, told me AJ was the most eligible person for the job. And so we hired him. Right, he quickly earned my trust simply because of who he was associated with. You know, if someone we know and trust trusts someone, then we tend to be more opt to trusting them, just simply by association. And who does John associate Jesus with? God. He associates Jesus with the God who created the world, and he repeats that so we don't miss it. By saying that Jesus was with God at creation and before creation, and we look at everything that's made, we can know that Jesus was right there with God during the process. And so when we look at the ocean and the sunset or the beauty of an oak tree, yes, we absolutely say, God, yes, God made that. But we can and should also say Jesus, who went to the cross to forgive us of sin, who asks us to follow him, Jesus, he also made that. Jesus was at God's right hand. He was like his right-hand man, so to speak, while everything was being created. But not only that, the, the last phrase of verse 1 in chapter 1 says that the word was God. And then down in verse 3, John says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Showing as clear as day that Jesus is God. 1B, Jesus is God. Again, Jesus, this guy we're supposed to trust and follow, was not only a sacrifice for our sins to get us to be with God, Jesus also was and is God. And God, again, uh, John is building our trust for Jesus. He does that by emphasizing this. Jesus wasn't just at creation, but creation was made through him. We see that in verse 3. Uh, this would be like the man with the flashlight okay, coming to rescue you. When we ask him who he is, he says back, I made everything here, and I also made you, and I know everything about you, and I've come to get you to a safe space. Listen, knowing that Jesus is God, it's massively important to the Christian faith. Maybe you don't think it's that important. Uh, but I want to make sure we all understand that this is foundational to the Christian faith. In fact, if we deny Jesus' divinity, saying that he wasn't God, then simply put, we're, we're not Christians. Because Jesus was not just a prophet. Jesus was not just a nice, good man. No, Jesus was and is God. And, and Jeho Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims, they get really tripped up here. You know, if, if, Jehovah, if these missionaries, Jehovah's Witnesses missionaries, these two people with the white shirts and the ties... Uh, if they come up and start talking to you and what they're saying sounds like the Christian faith, be warned. It's not. A lot of what they say may sound right, but it's way off. And we come here to John 1.1 to this phrase that says the word was God. In their Bible translation, they made a slight little edit. In that small edit, it makes a massive difference. Their translation inserts the article A here in John 1.1. And turns Jesus into a little G God, making it say the word was a God. And because of that, they would say that Jesus is not the God, but rather a lesser God. And they've got it wrong. And you know what happens when you bring this up to them? Well, this is what has happened with me, at least, uh, when I talk with them. I bring, I bring them here to John 1.1, 1, 1, I point to my Bible, and they say, no, that's wrong. And they point to their Bible, and I say, no, that's wrong. 
And then you end up getting this whole conversation of Bible translations and textual criticism and how they're wrongly translated the word and how their translation is inconsistent with the rest of John 1 and how their translation is unreliable. Uh, and, and all these, you're getting all this talk. And a couple of times they've sent other people out to talk with me. And I've told them the same thing. I just, I, I just tell them the same thing. Uh, and on the spot, I plead with them to believe in Jesus. And they say they do. And I'm like, uh, no, you don't. Like, in fact, uh, Jesus, he, Jesus is not a lesser God. Jesus is the one true God. And then they just never come back. Or at least that's what has happened to me. And now I just commit to praying for them. Muslims also deny this idea that Jesus is God. Yet they say they value the Bible, but yet they believe that the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus was God. But rather they say he was a prophet. And you take him here to John 1, verses 1 to 3, and then you're right back at that uh, reliability of the Bible conversation. And throughout all these conversations I've had, I have with people, I'm not trying to be combative or argumentative. I'm pleading with them to see the truth. And just as a side note, you know what the best apologetic uh, is in these situations? Yes, logical and rational arguments are helpful. They're important, and we should know them, and we should use them. But in my, in my experience, what I've seen, it, uh, it's typically love and kindness mixed with truth that leads people to Jesus. But I bring, I bring all of this up, uh, yes, so we can be aware of some subtle differences, but I want us to see that these subtle differences are massively important. And this is why. Because if Jesus is not God, then the entire Christian faith falls apart. And as Paul said, we should all be pitied. Because if Jesus was not God, Jesus could not have been a sinless sacrifice, and the resurrection would not be possible. And if the resurrection did not happen, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we're still eternally separated from God. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christians, as we know it, we have no hope. But as we know to be true and believe, Jesus was in fact God. Jesus was able to live a sinless sacrifice. Jesus did in fact die on the cross and Jesus did rise from the grave and Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his death and many of which gave up their life because of them witnessing this reality. And now as the scripture tells us, Jesus is with God forever. I mean, listen, as soon as we start to pick out these core beliefs, the whole thing just starts to fall apart. Because what we believe, it deeply matters. And the fact that Jesus was and is God, it is foundational to the Christian faith. But then thirdly, in this first section, building off of this, we need to see that 1C, Jesus is God revealed. And this is important. Because everything we see to be true about Jesus is also true about God. When we study the life of Jesus, we're learning about the God who created the world. And we see this idea in our John passage specifically by seeing how Jesus is referred to in our text as the Word. And we're going to continue wading into the deep waters here for like three or four more minutes. So just hang with me. But I want to try to make sure... Uh, we, this, what we, what, this is something that's pretty complex. I want to try to make this a little bit more simple for us in order for us to understand how Jesus is God revealed. We need to answer the question, uh, who, who is Jesus referred to as the Word? And many refer to the Greek culture of the time, uh, and that does play into this. But to help us understand this simply, let's just ask the question, hey, what do words do? Well, words communicate. Words reveal something. Words provide a message. And so when Jesus is referred to as the Word, I think it's fair to say that John, uh, what John is telling us, hey, Jesus is telling us something. 
Maybe it's fair to say that Jesus is like a walking billboard that's trying to tell the world something really important. Because Jesus was, uh, Jesus has something to reveal and communicate. And what Jesus is communicating to the world is powerful. Powerful like the word spoken at creation. And it's wise and correcting and life-giving like God's written word. And what Jesus is communicating to the world is not just what Jesus says, but it's also in his life and what he does. You can say this, Jesus' entire life is communicating. And so when we say Jesus is God revealed, we would say Jesus is God in the form of a person, a man. That Jesus is fully and 100% God and also fully 100% man. And because of that, throughout the book of John, we need to be asking, what is Jesus communicating about God through both his spoken words and also the outworking of his life? And we don't just pay attention to what he says, but we also pay attention to what he does, his way of life. And what John beautifully does immediately here in the beginning of this introduction to earn the favor of the audience is to immediately connect Jesus to God. Saying, hey, you can trust this man named Jesus. You can follow Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus is the same God that freed your people from Egypt. He's the same God that provided manna from heaven. He's the same God uh, that David worshipped. He's the same God that was spoken about through the prophets. He's the same God that created the ocean and paints beautiful sunsets and helps beautiful oak trees grow and flourish and also knits uh, together life in the mother's womb. Jesus is the revealed image of God who is intimate, uh, intimately intertwined in relationship with God. And for us here today, knowing who Jesus is, it's essential for us to know God. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't only a person to know. Jesus is our God to follow. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know where he's going. And so before we move to our next point, let me ask the question. Just ask yourself, do you know Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus came down to earth as fully God and fully man, that he lived a sinless life that only God could accomplish? And then do you believe that Jesus died on the cross, a bloody, grueling death, paying the penalty for the sins of humanity, paying for my sins and your sins and your neighbors and coworkers and classmates and friends' sins, if you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died the death that we humans deserve and then three days later rose from the dead, showing victory over sin as only God could do? Well, these are the truths that we call the gospel. This is good news. Because by believing in Jesus, we are no longer in sin and darkness, separated from God. But yet, by believing in Jesus, we are reunited with God. Like just by saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe all those things to be true. Right now and forever, we are reunited with God. These are core truths. These are essential and foundational to the Christian faith. So as our subtitle of our series suggests, what do you believe? And to end this first point here, I want to think back to the guy with the flashlight uh, when we ask him who he is. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't tell us his name. He shows us his credentials. He pulls out his badge. He shows us his plans. He tells, us, he tells you about your life and how you got here. He's not just a man with a light, he, but he's a man with power. And he truly cares about you being rescued. And after he shows you his credentials, he tells you his purpose. And that's what John does next in verses 4 and 5. Look at verse 4 and 5. This is what it says. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, leading us to our last point. Number two, what was Jesus' purpose? John said in verse 4, in Jesus was life, and this life was the light of men. And then it goes on in verse 5, continuing with, this, uh, with the theme of light, showing how this light shines in the darkness. And so these two verses, uh, we see two things here that are talked about with Jesus. And it's both life and light. Again, we need to remember that this is poetry, so I want to explain these two things, these two ideas real quick, uh, and then we're going to bring them all together and try to put a little bit more teeth on this. You know, this first idea of showing Jesus' purpose is the idea of life. And I think we naturally understand this. The opposite of life is death. In Jesus is not death, but in Jesus is life. At creation, if you remember, God's word breathes life into existence. So Jesus, like we see at the creation, is a life giver, both physically and spiritually. Jesus creates life physically with God, and Jesus also provides life spiritually. Jesus provides eternal life and also a fullness of life right now. You know, this idea of a full life in our culture, it's often missed. It's often missed. Full life for many in our world looks at a life full of thrills, like with a lot of money, sex, and power. These are things that are often associated with full life. And, and listen, I, I know from personal experience that chasing after these things are incredibly empty. Like, I've tried the whole live it up lifestyle. Like, I was the drunken teenage kid, partying every weekend, doing whatever I could to live my best life. At times, it was full of thrills at times, uh, but yet it was incredibly empty. Wondering throughout the week, in the morning after a night of partying, there has to be more to this life than this. In the summer after my sophomore year of high school, I finally understood the gospel and where true life is found. And ever since, I've been able to truly taste the fullness of life that is found in Jesus. Has it been easy? <laughs> no, not at all. It's been very difficult and challenging at times, but I can say it has been extremely full and satisfying over the past 18 years of my life. Yes, absolutely. It's been full and satisfying. Having Jesus in my life, as well as many others in the room, for those who trust Jesus, it has been a regular daily source of sustaining fullness of life. The whole money, sex, and power thing is only fun for a short time, and it always leaves people on empty, continually seeking more, and never fully satisfying their souls. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The most unsatisfied and empty people on this planet have the most money, the most power, and the most sex, but yet those things only give a thrill for a moment, and they're left right back feeling completely empty. Y'all, Jesus came not just to save us, but he also came to bring us life. So I want to bring it back to John, uh, John 1 and verse 4. I, th I think it's fair to, to rephrase, a fair way to rephrase verse 4 would be to say that in Jesus was flourishing. There is a spiritual, mental, and emotional flourishing and fulfillment that is available through Jesus. But then secondly, moving into our second idea, I want to pull out this idea. I want to put this idea of life on pause for just a second and then look at this idea of light. Because this idea of light is also important. Jesus came to bring life, but he also brings light. They're both important. I want you to hang with me here. They're both important. We need both. John says in verse 4 that Jesus' life is a light. And what do, the, what do lights do? A lights illuminate the darkness. They expose what's being hidden in the dark. They bring clarity and vision so that we can see, which is exactly what John says in verse 5. Uh, that He says the light shines in the darkness. 
So to bring these two ideas together, more simply, we could say that Jesus' life is a light. And I think we get this idea of, of, of light and darkness just like from our culture. Our culture uses this type of language when describing a type of culture uh, with dark movies and music and, and humor. And we say things are dark. They're not equated with joy and happiness. Uh, they're equated with a sort of evil. And as we talk about Jesus' purpose, why he came to earth, we see here that Jesus came to bring light into darkness. In essence, to, to fix in men the brokenness of the world. Okay, so I want to try to take us out of the clouds up here for just a second. Uh, and I want to try to bring it down to earth just with an illustration, okay? Hopefully this will be helpful. Okay, my four-year-old, Millie, like she loves babies, okay? Like she absolutely loves them. Real babies, uh, baby dolls, pretend babies. This is just what she does. Like babies are her thing. She's just a little mother all day long. And she has one baby that she, uh, that she loves above all the other babies. It's not like a real baby, but it's like a sleeping baby doll baby. Uh, and the baby's name is Baby. And she had this baby. Uh, she's had this baby whenever she was born. Uh, she sleeps with it. It goes most places with her. Something else Millie loves to do is to color. And most of the time, she colors on paper. Other times, she colors on things that she probably shouldn't color on. And several weeks ago... Uh, we noticed her baby had several Band-Aids on her. And I thought she was playing pretend doctor just for several days. And then I, when I finally asked her about it, I realized, oh, uh, she was actually covering up her baby's new tattoo that she gave her. And she colored, I mean, she colored her favorite baby and she put Band-Aids uh, band over the marker. And she wasn't covering up the artwork, but she, she was afraid she would be in trouble. No, she was covering up the baby because she felt shame. She didn't like what she saw, and it made her sad. And she was sad because something that she loved was now stained. I mean, y'all, this is like her favorite baby. It's her most prized possession, and covering up the marker with Band-Aids helped her to forget that it was stained. And when I took the Band-Aids off, she started crying. Why? Because what was messed up and marred was now exposed. It was in the light for all to see. The band-aid put the stain and mess into the darkness. This is what bringing things to light does. It exposes things that are hidden in the dark. And all of us, just like Millie's baby, have things that stain us. This is what we call sin. And what do we try to do? We try to cover them up. We either try to hide them, don't talk about them, or cover them up with things like money, sex, and power. We all have things in our life that need healing. Because we, we, we live in a broken world. And what's interesting about all of this is that part of Jesus' purpose was to come and shine a light on these things to take the band-aid off, so to speak. To expose what's in the dark. And this is what the life of Jesus does. It shines a light into the dark world and exposes the evil and wickedness of the world. And what we often think about with this is that when these things in our life are exposed... We feel shame and sadness, like, like it hurts. It's not fun. And so we just keep them in the dark, and we keep Band-Aids over them. But what I want us to see is, yes, Jesus is light, and the light of Jesus shines light into the darkness and exposes wickedness and evil. But may we not forget that the light, it did not come alone. Jesus didn't come only as a light. Jesus also came with life and flourishing and this is why Jesus uh, coming with both life and light together, it is so important. 
Because if Jesus only came with light and no life, we'd be hopeless. We'd see our mistakes and stains and wickedness and evil, and we'd just be left in our shame, everything exposed, without any really hope for change. All these mistakes we made last weekend, like, it would just, be, it would just sting. All those dark parts of our life, it would be easier to just give up, and coping with substances uh, would just seem to be like the easier and better way out. Wanting to be accepted and loved, realizing our insecurities, all of these things, we, the list could go on and on. And if we shine a light on them, but don't bring life, it's just really hurtful. It would be better just to keep the Band-Aid on. We're on the other side. If Jesus only brought life and didn't expose anything with the light, we'd be directionless. We wouldn't know what was good and bad. There'd be no way to be cleaned up because we can't see. And kind of coming back to the story here with Millie, do you know what we did with Millie's baby? We took the band-aids off, right? exposing the marker, seeing the mistake. But you know what? We didn't leave it there. We took the baby, we kind of sprayed shout on it and threw it into the washer and we cleaned it up, giving the baby a fresh new start. A, 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 we gave it a new life, so to speak. And so when we think about Jesus and his purpose, Jesus came with both light and also life. Jesus exposes darkness, but doesn't just leave what's exposed untouched and lifeless. Jesus doesn't open the dark, messy closet of our life and just leave us in shame. No, Jesus shines a light in the dark corners of our life, exposes them, and then breathes new life into our life and helps us clean out the closet. And in the process, God changes us and transforms us and makes us new and clean and restores us and revives us and strengthens us and gives us a new purpose and a new direction. When Jesus came to earth as God, he was exposing the darkness, but he also came to bring new life into the darkness. That's what Jesus does with us. He's calling us to bring things into the light. Like Jesus doesn't expose us to leave us in shame. No, he shines a light on us to transform us and show us true life the way he designed it. Jesus exposes the darkness to bring life into the darkness. New City Church, get this, the God of the universe, the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and the ocean, the God who knits life in the womb, the God who is all-powerful, that same God came into the world to rescue his people from the darkness of the world. And he rescues us by coming into the dark alleys of our life and he comes to us with a light and a purpose. And do you know what that man in the alley does? <laughs> he gives us a flashlight and says, hey, there's, there's more people out there just like you. Let's go find them. And so how, how do we get rescued out of the dark alley? We follow the guy with the flashlight. We follow Jesus. And you know what happens when we follow Jesus? His light shines on us and we realize real quick, oh, wait. Like, my clothes are really dirty. And Jesus gives us new clothes, and he gives us a clean t-shirt and some new socks and a new hat and new pants and says, come on, let's go find some more people. They're out there just like you waiting for us to be found. New City Church, we have the light of the gospel. We have Jesus Christ who gives life. There are people all around us that are searching and that need healing. And that's what happens with us in the gospel. Jesus shines a light on us and then he gives us new life. He cleans us up and then he hands us a flashlight and says, come on, follow me. 
Let's go find some more people. And today, in just a minute, as we end our time, we get to celebrate the new life of two people in our church family who decided to give their life to Jesus and follow him. Yeah, praise God. I love it. We have two guys today that are going to go through the waters of baptism. They have both said they believe that Jesus is God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and that by believing in Jesus, their sins are forgiven and they're reunited with God. And these two guys, uh, their names are both Eric and Nick. And they are walking with Jesus. They're following him. I've personally had the privilege this summer to do a small discipleship group with these guys, getting to know them. Eric, he grew up uh, in a Christian home, gave his life to Jesus early on. But it wasn't until college when he uh, became, it became his own faith and not his parents' faith. Today he's walking in obedience, making a public profession of faith through the waters of baptism. And then also Nick. Nick gave his life to Jesus on May 2nd, 2020. In the middle of a COVID lockdown, God came in and saved him. These, these are Nick's words that he wrote. He said, after walking in his own volition for years of his life, he found himself in a pit that was inescapable of escaping on his own. He found himself in desperate need of help. And in that moment of desperation on May 2nd, that was when Christ became clear to him. He put his hands on him and healed him from all the pain that he was suffering through. And from that moment on, Nick has spent his time seeking God in just a multitude of ways. And today we have two different stories, but in both stories, God saved them out of their dark alley and has been healing them and bringing new life to them through Jesus. And today as a church, we get to celebrate their new life. And just to be clear on this, okay, baptism does not save Nick and Eric. Only by believing in Jesus Christ crucified is what does that. Baptism is just a simple step of obedience, declaring publicly when they go down into the water, they're symbolizing that they're putting to death the old life and being raised into new life. And now in the, in the last song, we're going to ask them two questions uh, when they're in the water. Asking them, do you believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? And then secondly, well, hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll nod their head yes. And, and secondly, will you follow him as Lord of your life? And then, y'all, we are going to scream and yell and celebrate. And in the process, we're just going to beg God for so many more. So many more. Let's, let's pray. God, we, we love that you come into the dark corners of our lives and you shine a light to bring healing. Father, I don't know who's in this room right now that is, is you're calling out. I'm, I'm praying that right now you would come and meet those people that have, not, have yet to trust and follow Jesus. They would say, yes, God, I believe. I want to follow you. God, I'm praying for salvation today. God, would you save people? Would we celebrate today as a church all that you've done? And Father, we're praying for so many more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.